So we have a new SNP leader, we have a new First Minister, we have a cabinet and we have a sense of exclusion amongst those who supported Kate Forbes. And of course, she herself is not a member of the cabinet. Um, so how uh, is the rest of Scotland responding, the SNP? Uh, there's a gang of 15 organised, apparently, to um, produce new policy, potentially even amend government policy. How will that work? Uh, we discussed that and the fact that whilst the Greens may be seen as the tail wagging the SNP dog, many of their policies, they're not their policies, uh, but predate the Greens' involvement in government, are actually pretty po popular with the public and even supported across parties within Holyrood. So uh, all of that, plus inevitably Donald Trump and somehow green algae, oak trees and Richard Dormer, the star of Fortitude and now of Blue Lights on the Beep. Those are the headlines. Now for the podcast. Hi, Johns, and welcome to this week's Leslie Riddick uh, podcast. And it's been uh, an up and down week for me because I've been up and down the uh, ladder to our loft, and it's been a very therapeutic experience clearing out uh, 30 years of accumulated stuff. And so what I've done in the last week is uh, spend my time going through all the detritus and the remnants of what has been a, a long time at this residence. And of course, an analogy could be made, Ms. Riddick, <laughs> <laughs> with the potential of, uh, or has there been a, a clearing out? Because you've been, you've been across the airwaves uh, constantly this week with asked to make comment upon uh, the, the new cabinet, which you speculated on last week, and congratulations on your crystal ball for the offer to Kate Forbes, and the uh, reaction to the construction of the cabinet and the potential divisive nature of uh, Humza Yusuf's selections. Yes, um, I'm I keep trying to remember, you know, it's, it's, re it's really been a week we've had to go to remember at what point we last did the podcast, you know, so yeah. I repeat myself, because it never stopped sort of being bouncy if you like um we we didn't we did obviously get the fact of his, of his election and the and and the pro, you know the prospect of that offer to Kate Forbes um and then we didn't get i mean what's new in that is obviously now old <clears throat> which is that she knocked it back basically yeah. in rural affairs and um i mean i wrote a thing in the national then mm. uh, last week which was just I mean, first of all, it did massively annoy me that everybody thought rural affairs was just yeah. such a kind of Siberia briefing. And uh, I mean, people really have to get that. For example, um, you know, I've spoken to quite a few folk in the Highlands since then, and there's a lot of feeling, as I think I can't remember if we talked about this or not, but, you know, part of the support Kate Forbes got, and it was a myriad different groupings mm. in it. But a big part of it was Highland. You know, there was people that I spoke to who on every other count would be natural supporters for Humza Yusuf or, or maybe Ash, but mostly Humza, who voted for Kate because she's a Lochaber lass. And you can't underestimate the amount of disappointment there is in some quarters uh, in the Highlands, actually, that they, 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 they sensed that they were about to get. Uh, I mean, I'm just scanning my brain to think of. You know, arguably, John Smith was born in Ardrishig, but my goodness, you know, he he died mm. a long time ago. I mean, since then, there hasn't been a, a Highland MP, MSP. I'm saying this and I'm thinking there's bound to be some exception. Jim Wallace was deputy, you know, uh, was, was in the Lib Lab Pact in the early days of the Scottish Parliament from Orkney. 
But for mainland Highlanders, you know, they just sort of thought they were going to get a real step into a seat of power. And they had a candidate who talked about the Highlands and about rural issues a lot, you know, not a little, but a lot. And suddenly that didn't happen. So there is a sense of disappointment there. I mean, Marie Todd is uh, minister for, oh God, I should have got the list in front of me, but well-being in a long list of things. Um, I think that doesn't put her in the cabinet, but still, you know, that's that's a, a, a you know, a, that there, there's that. There's also people like Drew Henry, who's a, an MP. I mean, there's clearly representation in the Highlands. There's always been that, but just that bigger step up was, I think, more exciting to folk in the Highlands than, you know, f- people down here perhaps realised. So, um, so that offer of rural affairs, then, you know, that that could have been really quite. That should have on paper that should have been quite an attractive thing um, and it, it looks like it was only offered because it would fit in with a kind of work-life balance that it's it it looks mm. like Kate Forbes herself must have raised you know and we've still got that image of that absolute beatific smile that she has yeah. when she lost and subsequently you know when she was in parliament and there was cutaways to her after whom Sir Yusuf made his you know his first first minister's questions at every time that she was present she looked like someone who just won the Oscar, not lost it. You know, it was just the oddest thing. Contrasting starkly, you would have to say, with Ash Reagan, who needs yes. to learn if she wants to. You know, I mean, if she wants to, if she wants to appear continually, you know, grumpy, then keep going as you're going. But it's a bit like that thing. We have to remember that when someone else wins the Oscar, the next cutaway is yes. going to be you, honey. Yes, you know exactly. I mean? So, but anyway, um, so the point is coming back to the rural affairs brief. Um, of course, the stumbling block then posited, and, and Kate actually considered it for a day. If this was such a shite offer, basically, she would have just handed it straight back to him. So it looks like there was some degree of discussion as to that being formed to fit something for her. And then it stumbled over the highly protected marine areas. Mm. Now, um, this this is kind of... The highly, I, I'm at the moment about to do two events in the Edinburgh Science Festival, one of which is a is a, a thing about um, trying to kind of put, put nature, price it in as something that actually all our systems and capitalism depends upon. And if you don't, you know, it's, it's, it's looking at it that way. If you haven't managed to sort of win over people to the biodiversity crisis we're living through now, everyone's got, there's an energy crisis, everyone's got, we need to decarbonize. But the biodiversity crisis where species are just dropping away because of human activity and that interferes with the engine that is nature upon which we all depend. Um, that argument hasn't been put or won so well. So uh, one of the authors is talking about that. Another is talking about a seaweed revolution. I had ju- I'm sorry I'm rambling off the point. I've just had a coffee. But <laughs> I have no idea that actually roses and oak trees are are basically descendants of green algae. Right. So there's plenty going on in all of that. Um and and you could you could say that people at a broad brush stroke get that argument. You know, there's a poll that suggests mm. 85% of people think it's important to keep marine di- biodiversity. And it's true that we have been scouring the seabeds. You know, there's the evidence is there. Uh, it, it's been filmed, um, and and we can tell, you know, from the from the from the species that are needing protection. But when it comes down to wanting to have a complete ban on all activity in the areas around the Western Isles, of course, um, all the traditional industries are up in arms. 
And there's even some specialists, you know, who are absolutely doing everything by the green book. They, too, would be shut down. So, in theory, would swimming. <clears throat> if you've ever gone swimming in the Minch, good blooming luck to you. You're hardier than <laughs> you're hardier than a seal, you know. But the point is that then opens this to ridicule because the idea that one person swimming in the Minch is going to endanger the whole biodiversity of the universe is kind of that's where these things find mm-hmm. her. Now, th- this is out for consultation at the moment. These highly protected marine areas. Um, opponents of it will say that there are none anywhere else in Europe. Uh, Supporters will say, well, nobody's got quite the level of coastline that we've got and that there are other names for protected areas that are pretty protected to the same degree and that you might just want to be a pioneer for once and not lagging behind. So it's it's still open for discussion is the long point I'm trying to make here. Mm -hmm. And um, I would have thought if, you know, if Kate had wanted to weigh in, she might just have decided she, she, she looks like someone who is not scared of having an argument. Let's be honest. And she doesn't look like someone who's scared of having an argument in public. Um, so, you know, if she'd really wanted to go for that, I would have thought there's still room for maneuver in there. But who knows what happened in the back yeah. room? So she just yeah. fell out of that equation. Then any post that she had would be a demotion. And the fact that, you know, this group of 15 that's rumoured to exist um, in weekend newspaper articles, pr- presumably including Fergus Ewing, mm. who sort of scythed into the Greens, can't quite remember, you know, basically wine bar yeah. revolutionaries or something he called yes. them. Um, you know, that, that that grouping in a funny kind of way almost confirms the, the difficulty that would have existed of having Kate remain at finance with what's then perceived to be such a different set of economic values that a, a, a subgrouping needs to exist within the SNP to sort of prosecute those policies. It would have been a tough gig to have someone with a very different political outlook uh, sitting beside you in finance, because that absolutely is your two-headed, you know. So I can see how in the end, if she wasn't going to continue in finance, that role didn't suit her because of one possible problem that might arise over with the Greens. She, you know, every ever probably there's not a portfolio in there that would have worked. Um, and she's just decided to step back. So, you know, fair play. Mm. I mean, to, to be perfectly honest about it, I couldn't in any way, shape or form see Homsey Yusuf offering Kate Forbes uh, finance secretary. I really couldn't. I mean, the, the, let's look, for example, at the Labour Party. When Jeremy Corbyn became leader, he got John McDonnell, a man who was utterly at one with him in terms of the economic policies and the fiscal policies he wished to introduce. And there was a clear divide there, an absolute clear divide. And I mean, and I'm totally with you as well on in terms of the the reaction that there's been. And I was quite surprised from Kate Ford supporters who described uh, rural affairs as a kind of like, as you said, the Siberia, the Siberian appointment. And Looking at it, it it one of the key issues in in the the rural uh, portfolio is land reform and land use, and I would have thought that w- that would have been something that would have been incredibly attractive to someone from the Highlands, and as exactly as you said, I would have thought that she would have been in there compromising, negotiating, and getting a deal that would have suit the constituency she particularly appealed to in her leadership campaign, but I mean the the, the cabinet has to reflect. 
and has to represent in any way, shape or form, even with collective responsibility, the priorities of the leader who and he did secure the the the, the, the leadership. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a couple of things, as I said there, I'm really surprised at the reaction of, of, and it possibly displays that kind of central belt. Uh, attitude that, that that is so worrying to many people well, who support independence. Just just a lot. I mean, I think I can't remember if that's how I started this thing, but just think about it, people. You would not. There's no other group that you would describe. I saw someone <clears throat> online describing her that posting as a picking the plastic bags out of the bushes mm. brief. And I mean, honestly, uh, this 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 is in danger of backfiring a bit. Um, and also, you know, the, the, I see a number of commentators today are, are picking up something I put in the, the, the Herald article yesterday, which is just pointing out that, um, you know, blaming the Greens as the tail that's wagging mm. the dog. And this is basically what's sitting behind the whole thing here, that um, the suggestion is the Greens are, you know, a bunch of sort of, you know, left wing zealot like lunatics on all sorts of policies. <clears throat> and that's openly said now by a lot of SNP supporters and I would imagine by, you know, some of the some of Kate Forbes supporters since since it looks like, you know, she's she's let it be known that that was the reason that she couldn't even take this demotion job. But if you look it just if you actually just look at it, though, you know, the the, the two policies, the bottle deposit returns, mm-hmm. that was begun under the SNP. I mean, I think I can't remember, you know, the date, but. Anyway, I'm wanting to say 2016, but, you know, around then. So that's been a long time sort of. And actually, I I did I did share some event about it whenever it was launched, which is long enough ago for me to have forgotten the date. And all the problems that are current now were raised then. So, OK, nobody has basically fixed it. But that sat, I think, under Rosanna Cunningham's watch for quite a long time and didn't get sorted. Now, that's not to say. That's okay for Lorna Slater to have not sorted it until the last minutes and not appear in TV programs and yada yada. But the whole, you know, the the concept of it arose on the SNP's watch, not on the Greens' watch. And just by the by, it does actually have public support. Yes. Um, you know, so in in principle, you know, the idea of bottle return, everyone goes, mm, yeah. Uh, I think it was a BBC poll: seven out of ten Scots support the introduction. So there's one. The next one, gender recognition. Now, I know walking back into this alley is kind of like, you know, proves a certain masochism in my makeup. But even there, and again, a a BBC survey, February found 57 percent support for making gender recognition certificates easier to get. Um, That rose to 70 percent amongst under 35s and interestingly, 63 percent amongst all women. The group most anti this whole thing is older white men. So that's fine. But the point is that that also the gender recognition process, uh, I think, began under, you know, the SNP before the Greens had joined government and was actually supported by members of every political party just while we're at it. And then when you get down to, you know, the green transition, that was also a feature of Kate Forbes campaign and Ash Reagan saying that, you know, they wanted to, uh, you know, take it slower and give more compensation to the northeast and so on. Um, A YouGov poll found 70 percent of SNP voters now, not the whole public, but SNP voters supported getting out of oil and gas as quickly as possible. And even 45 percent supported a ban on new exploration. And if you're thinking about the other side of it, 
39% were opposed to a ban. So basically, a majority of SNP supporters support a ban on new exploration for oil and gas. So, you know, all this stuff about, um, you know, the, the, the kind of gre the green tail wagging the dog on the SNP. Mm, yeah, I think it's, there's a more awkward set of realities in there, as in this was a shape of policy that was uh, that was being determined under Nicola Sturgeon. Now, if you want to chuck her legacy under the bus as well, you can do that. But actually, you're out of step with where the public's at with a lot of it. Um, and now that the failure of the SNP and mm. Greens, to me, is failing to draw down from that sort of high level agreement there seems to be lurking within the body politic on specific subjects. They lose it as they touch earth with the actual project that's going to enable that policy that has support. So, you know, some of that is, yeah, problems that don't get snagged properly. Some of them is a reluctance to just allow through the loophole, if you like, that will allow most people to go, yeah, OK, fine. And that could have been stuff to do with offenders within the gender recognition um, process. It could be within the marine areas. Um, there's plenty of exceptions that could be plugged in there to make sure that islanders who are already suffering from no blinking ferries uh, don't, don't feel that they're just being completely shut down by this government. So you need to be careful about how far you can go and plug in exceptions. That's done in every every aspect of, of the political world to get the bulk of a project through. And finally and crucially, you need to get your sorry asses out there and explain it. This angers me so much, actually, mm -hmm. that both the SNP and Greens have a tendency to think that if something adds up on paper, it adds up in reality to everyone. And if it, it sort of makes sense generally, and, you know, I'll grant you, I've just listed the levels of support, but that's what you get as a sort of general drift. As soon as you start to get a specific policy, you start to brush up against difficulty. And this is, I've got to say, where Nicola was pretty good on her COVID brief briefings is she would always, when she had that platform, she wouldn't wait for the little snag to crop up. She would anticipate and answer it there and then. Now, of course, she had the platform every day. She had a platform to talk to the public. And it's no wonder that, you know, ratings for her, independence, Scotland's dealing with, with COVID, even though we had some of the same problems, all went up because she was in constant communication and she wasn't just punting out empty rubbish. She was she was anticipating real, you know, but what about that? Ah, buts, if you like. And she built them into every opportunity she had to connect with the public. Now, this hyper has to happen here. When when Humza Youssef comes back and gives us what the heck it is he's steering towards, because at the moment, everyone's just attaching the, the sort of fairly weak labels that arose during the leadership campaign. So Kate Forbes' lot are called economic conservatives. Yeah. That annoys the hell out of them. Well, you better relabel yourselves then. And Homes of Yusuf's lot, what do you say? Social Democrats, you know, well-being economy supporters. You know, I don't think Kate Forbes uh, supporters would think they weren't, you know. So mm -hmm. however he presents himself, um, that needs to, to have missionaries on it. And it needs every opportunity to get out and explain stuff and even some thought about how you manage to craft opportunities, given, you know, the the, the difficulty there can be actually accessing the you know the, the the media but 
this seems to me to be the big problem is not j just the absence of general support, but the ability to really talk through um, particular issues and bring the public with you. And it's that that aspect of things has got to be non-continuity. I mean, that has got to change. And then the other just small thing is, OK, so we've just gone through Kate's difficulty, yeah. you know, the difficulty with Kate. But what you, about you know, Ash? Well, it, it wasn't so much that was going on to, actually. Oh, but, you know, just that there's there was a obviously there's 48 percent of people, you know, voted for for whatever you might perceive to be Kate's mm. grouping of of characteristics. And there is nobody um, that's an active Kate supporter in that cabinet. Right. I think. Or, I mean, there may be one or two in the wider government appointments. And that just looks a little bit kind of, again, my way or the highway ish. Now, this would have to be offset by a pretty powerful vision of the way forward. And I'll quite grant you that it's possible within weeks, months, nobody will even remember, you know, who was what. Um, but still, it just it just rubs that the 48 percent's noses in it a wee bit that they haven't got any sort of outlet. And that might explain why this 15 think they need to have a separate grouping because they have no representation on earth, essentially, mm -hmm. within the cabinet. And, you know, would it have been so tough to let one business voice in there? I don't know. Don't think so. Yeah, because, I mean, as I say, there's been an incredible amount of focus on Kate Falls. But I think uh, one of the, the, the key things that came through, and I was very interested in Joanna Cherry's recent article in The National, where she quote, she and I share many perspectives on many things, uh, but also our, our liking for The Leopard by uh, Lampedusa, which, which is a novel about the Risorgimento uh, in, in, in Sicily, uh, where the quote is, we want things to stay as they are, things will have to change. And I took it, my perspective on that one, I've used that quote is that if the SNP wish to retain their, their political hegemony in Scotland and wish to progress uh, towards independence, everything has to change. And not and I think one of the key things about Ash Reagan's campaign and Kate Ford's to, to, to a great extent is the campaign for internal democracy. And with the you said a continuity deputy FM and finance secretary the Shona Sh 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 Robinson, is there a is that that sense that there could be the change that is necessary to take place in the internal structures of the SNP in order to allow nothing to change in terms of their dominance of Scottish politics? Well, um, the, 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 there was a not much noticed uh, <clears throat> national executive meeting uh, of the SNP on Saturday at which Mike Russell stopped being the interim voluntary chief executive and a little subgroup with Kirsten Oswald himself. Oh, I've forgotten. It might be him. So I don't know. But a third three, three mm -hmm. senior people are basically briefed to go away and come up with how to recruit a new chief executive. So um, so that's a pretty big posting. <clears throat> and uh, given, you know, the, the kind of furore there was about Peter Murrell's departure, it's kind of interesting that no, there doesn't seem to be much comment upon the process to find his replacement, because that will tell an awful lot about how the land's going to lie from here on in. And I didn't mean to be dismissive about Ash's campaign, but clearly, you know, getting 11 percent is one thing, getting 48 percent is another. But you're right. I mean, uh, the the uh, the case that was made and and almost proven essentially by that mm. request for membership numbers, which brought down, you know, the whole structure, really. 
I mean, there's no perhaps the thinking within the SNP is that the essentially the bloodletting, you know, the sacrifice of Peter Merrill going is enough, but it's not. It just is not. Um, the, the 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 SNP has got to get back to something that is responsive, that the membership respect, that uh, delivers leaflets that people feel they want to deliver, <laughs> um, uh, has conferences that aren't stitched up before they've begun that aren't, you know, corporate worship. There's there's loads of aspects of stuff over the years. Also, not micromanaging the selection of local candidates. I mean, I don't, you know, as I said before, I, I don't actually do SNP meetings. Yes, meetings all over the place, but not SNP branch meetings. And yet uh, everywhere I go, I just for years have had these endless series of, you know, moans about the way that uh, HQ works. And Every system and every party will have that, but it's it's just reached you know a crescendo where some of the, the 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 best activists I know left the SNP not over anything to do with Alba you know any of those other big reasons, but because they were just sick with one particular uh, you know piece of central enforcement that they simply couldn't thole anymore. So it'll be interesting to see because I, I mean. Whilst ALBA is obviously, uh, and all parties are moving in a bit, hoping that they, 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 can, they can get something out of the SNP's current sort of woes, um, logically, it should also be possible on some of these grounds that something that feels like a new brush going through the SNP organisationally sh- might allow some people who've just, who are just now in no person's land, uh, might allow them to think of coming back. If indeed the thing of being a party member is still a thing, mm. I mean, it's still it's still mind blowing that people actually still feel that they have to be a member of a party to sort of support it. Because for long enough, that wasn't the case. I mean, I was looking at something when uh, describing some decision Alex Salmond made when uh, it might have even been back just as recently as 2012 when they had 8000 members. Mm. 8000 and now we're, you know, there's people down in the dumps because they've only got 72. So <laughs> fuck ends, you know. But there's a, there's obviously there's a lot resting, you know, on Humza Yusuf's shoulders. And I I just I wasn't at the first minister's questions that he did. I mean, did you see that? I I, I saw some of it to to be honest, but yeah, I, I thought he handled it pretty well. I mean, obviously not as a not as fluent as Nicola Sturgeon, but I mean he's he's just in position, and I I thought he handled himself pretty well. But you can see the attack lines that are coming up. I mean, Douglas Ross focused entirely on independence, I mean, and uh, that's the line that the Conservatives are, are going to be taking because it was interesting because I thought when I, when I watched debate night with you, you could actually see the the, the clarification of the the Tory and Labour attack lines. That, that that are coming down the line uh, and so focused on independence and what you're going to have from an Asarwa and the Labour Party will be attacks on competence and the, the fact of this is one chance to get a Labour government elected across the UK and that will strike at the heart of yeah, the, the drive towards independence because there will be a, a theoretically left of centre social democratic party in power across the UK who can tackle inequalities right across the UK using the broad shoulders as Lisa Nandy actually turned around and said of the, the windfall taxes and the monies coming in from the oil and gas industry. So yeah, he, he, he did it well, um, I thought, I mean, but that that's it. But, that's, but Michael, sorry, which he is this now, 
Humza in his first yes, so, sorry, sorry, sorry I was drifting back off to debate night there. Yeah, um, but the debate night, yeah. yes, uh, you you got. No, a, let's a not. First... Don't, don't, don't. You're no, no, crossing the no, roads no. too many times here. Um, well, I, you know, I just thought Humza was too shouty actually, and mm-hmm. I, I think the thing is, I'm not sure that's actually him totally. Uh, it, it's difficult to get a persona right, you know, because uh, you need to look. He's been told that he needs to look tough, and this makes people quite shouty. Uh, but he's he just has a little tendency to repeat himself, um, which you know, yeah. he, when you've made your point once, you need to move on. Um, but that also, to me, I can remember when I was doing the the People's Parliament when people were basically. Uh, quite overwhelmed by the just the moment they either tended to repeat themselves or look at me as the speaker of the parliament and go into some long meander about uh, madam speaker and whatever having that group of people having decided they would not call me madam speaker because it was such a jumped up piece of nonsense but then they suddenly discovered why you had these little formalities because it let you look to one side stop looking at this being mob of people opposite you that just completely opposed everything you were saying regroup yeah. your think thoughts mm-hmm. remember who you were lift your head back again and then go back on you know having refound your argument yeah. so it's a tough tough thing to stand up and do all of that kind of you know no matter how how often you may have done that within health questions and so on but i think he just has to find a sort of persona in himself that's closest closer to himself you don't yeah. need to shout at people to sort of look tough you're never going to be nicola uh, no. who you could quite see scared the bejesus out of most people in terms of argument. I mean, as soon as she was drafted in, in the last indie ref, nobody had their feet anymore. She was, uh, and the trouble is you're, you're talking about comparison with someone who was really excellent in that kind of thing. So um, he just needs to find a centre for himself because I think where he appeals to people is that he seems to be a fairly pr- pretty decent left, left-leaning mm-hmm. kind of, well, you know, sort of reasonably big hearted guy, you know, right, that's that's the that's the thing to build on. And the rest of it, let them sound petty. Of course you've got to take their arguments to pieces, but you don't need to do it with that sort of, you know, angry flourish thing. I just don't think that's really him. So it'll be interesting to see when mm. he comes back whether he's I mean, dear me, that was something to go through all of that and then come out the other end. But the sort of person that was what that was very sort of that seemed very immediately generous and had that big hug with uh, Kate Forbes that sort of and didn't reply to her when mm-hmm. she gave him a doing that moment when he didn't reply I still think he should have re- he she could have replied without being aggressive I think he was dumbfoonert which is not mm. a good look but he never at any point got angry I can't remember a single thing where he looked angry and and there's no point starting now, you know, because that's what people kind of quite like about you is that you seem a fairly, yeah, you seem to be a mm. guy that isn't angry. So don't just ramp yeah. it up now for the sake of the crowd. Yeah, but we're advisors, I think, is is the other thing there. If people are turning and saying, oh, you've got to you've got to sound and talk 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 tough. Yeah, but um, the talk tough I would like to see is a national energy company. Yeah, I mean, come on. You've, you know, when I was drilling into all my percentages for that article, um, I, I came across 86% of people back a national energy company to ensure Scots benefit from future green investments. Right. See, like that there. And now we know Wales is firing ahead with that. I was actually speaking to Hugh Edwards when I was there for the BBC, who's mm-hmm. a massive, you know, Welsh supporter. And uh, we were talking about the Severn Barrage and how that could be game changing, because when 
if when uh, Keir Starmer comes in, there will be a Labour government in both London and Cardiff for a short period before uh, Mark Drakeford retires. And that would enable getting that massive project off the ground, which would be a huge uh, coup for Labour. So the thing is, you sit twiddling your thumbs, find listening to advisors and lawyers and the whole damn lot of them that will give you a good reason why this thing doesn't work. You will end up last. And everyone's watching now for something really is no, not enough to come on and say that it's an outrage that Scots are you know, yeah. experiencing fuel poverty at a time when we've got this embarrassment of, of 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 energy riches, we expect some action on it. And actually, it's it's a national energy company. You just need to do it and get on with it. Yeah, to quote the great Steve Marriott from the Small Faces from the the 1960s song, "What you going to do about it?" Because that's mm. the reality. It's, it's rather than talking about it. If I can can skip uh, to uh, debate night um, and. The, the Sunday show as well, because Stephen Kerr was on. You can see that strategy developing uh, that Michael Marriott clearly articulated in terms of the Labour Party attack, which is its continuity, its continuity of mediocrity. Uh, it's a divided country, you know, yeah, it's a divided party. And again, he went for the green SNP tensions. And uh, I think I think it was Stephen Kerr who actually described the he actually just about came out and said the loony left when he was referring to the to the Green Party and questioning the, the, the cabinet's track record. That's the Labour Party attack. Um the the Tories, I mean, it's it's an interesting one there because Stephen Kerr quite openly, quite openly uh, went with the fact that uh, there will be advice coming out from the Conservative Party HQ in Scotland at the very least to uh, vote Labour. And, and keep the SNP out. And I got—I don't know about you, I got a delivery yesterday from Liberal Democrats yeah. and where it said, Wendy Chamberlain is the only way to defeat the SNP. So you're going to get that whole concept that, that we've, we've traditionally, because of the stupid first-past-the-post system of this, the, the tactical voting that will be encouraged by all political parties, I was, well, the Liberal Democrats and the, and the Tories in particular, in that. And you, you, you also got the central uh, uh, conservative strategy, which seems to be a, a pincer movement where you've got the, you can't do, put a cigarette paper between uh, Rishi Sunak uh, and uh, the Labour Party now in terms of the cozying up to Europe within the the, res- the restrictions of the post-Brexit uh, settlement. And you've got Philip Hammond, a steady hand on the ship. Well, on the other hand, Swella Braverman and Lee Anderson throwing red meat in terms of stop the boats and grooming gangs and wokeness on the other hand. So it's a, becoming clear that, that what that's the we're building up to that general election now. And that's the strategies that they're going to be taking. And the mm-hmm. SNP has to work its own strategy out in order, as you say, to actually say, what are we going to do about all these issues while these pincer movements are taking place? Indeed. Um, And I mean, the Tories are are openly saying they're looking for essentially a voting pact with Labour to keep the SNP out, which Labour are kind of, you know, would be very foolish to say they're officially Mm -hmm. going to do because they can do it behind the scenes at local level and nobody's going to know. I mean, anything that that, uh, allies Labour and the Tories in any kind of formal way in Scotland is just a kind of death knell really for them. And the Tories need this more because all that's happened in the polls so far has been a churn from the Tories to Labour for unionists. So the Tories to keep, you know, ironically, the Tories need independence as much as the SNP do 
because when independence is off the map, so are the Tories. I mean, it's the only way that they get elected. So, you know, they can, they, they, but they will sugar around and do this. And one can expect that that will definitely happen. So as for the SNP, I was at an event recently where, uh, <clears throat> um, which was all sort of off the record, but clearly <clears throat> one strand that's going to be put forward as a suggested tactic for the, for the election um, is that the SNP should be saying that, look, Labour are likely to get elected, vote SNP to kind of hold their feet to the fire, keep them honest and mm -hmm. uh, demand self-determination. And personally, I think that is no good. Um, there's, I was arguing there and I see also now that George Caravan has an excellent article today exa saying exactly the same thing, that the best tactic is to demand complete fiscal control for Scotland. Right. That, now that for a lot of people, they might go, oh, well, hang on a minute. Don't we want independence? Well, yes. But, you know, you either kind of go into just empty, you know, we know what's going to happen. You're not going to get a referendum out of these guys. We're not going to get anywhere till we're sitting around 60 percent or so on. And even then, the, 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 the method is kind of difficult to see. And we're either going to keep asking for things that we're not going to get, which will, you know, which will in time just erode people's feelings of commitment to wanting to turn out and push things. Um, or we have to d devise something that's a bit cleverer. And George's argument is that there's not clever politics on this at the moment, because um, if you're going to have an argument like I ended up having with Michael Mara, actually, um, who, for anyone that doesn't recognise the name, is indeed the great Michael Mara's nephew um, and is a Labour MSP for Dundee uh, area. Uh, he was arguing on, let's say, energy. He was able to say, well, we've got a proposal about energy, great British energy. And I mean, OK, mm. uh, there's all sorts of issues with that. But where's where's uh, the SNP's proposal for how we are now? You know, yeah, come the day we run the whole damn shooting match. That's fine. But now, where are you? You haven't got there's nothing to match even that proposal. And so I was <clears throat> having to sort of pick away at the weaknesses of it. It's uh, it's not going to remove the big six who are the people that essentially hold m many of us to ransom. It's not going to knock out BP and Shell making 32 billion pounds worth of profit, which is not none of the, the the Tory on the panel has suggested that none of it was earned in the British sector, which is rubbish. Mm. It's between five and 10 percent. If that's nothing, then, as I said on the programme, we've got different calculators at work. <laughs> but the point still remains that is sniping sideways at the idea of Great British Energy. And much as actually it'll give the book to many people who just don't watch programmes on principle because they've got Great British in the title. And I've got to say I'm one of them because I'm sick of it. But nonetheless, the policy of doing something about energy, you've got to have a policy for now, not for the way distant future to combat that. And that the beauty of, of demanding total fiscal control is that the vast bulk of Scots would support it. And that's control over raising taxes and public spending, including borrowing, because the points made repeatedly that uh, London Transport has got greater borrowing powers than the Scottish Parliament. Now, we're at an end of hearing these things cited as grievances. We now need to have that rolled into a strategy to demand change. Because the other point is, obviously, that the Tories can sort of say, well, you know, you're spendthrift here and you spend on this and that. Well, yeah, you know, this is essentially saying, yeah, we think it's probably responsible that you raise money as well as spending it, da-dum. Um, so that you, you cut through all of that 
and uh, you, you demand fiscal autonomy, basically. Now, that's a, a strong um, demand that the SNP could go into the next election with. If Labour looked like they oppose fiscal autonomy, then we mm. know that they are never going to, this idea that there's going to be <laughs> any more devolution coming down the, the, the road is exposed, as, as George puts it, exposed as the waffle that it is. So, you know, that puts you right in the middle of everything and saying we want to motor here and we've got lots of reasons to want our hands on the coffers because we want to invest in hardware that's taking ages to, you know, 30 years to develop subsea connectors. We want to put in district heating so that we can revolutionise and take ourselves away from dependence on gas. We want uh, to really get to, to tackle poverty. We want to... Uh, eat away at the difficulties created by benefit poverty and how that feeds into education. I mean, you know, there's any number of things that you could say, this is what we need to be able to work now. And actually every new set of powers that have come from, from London have not diminished support from independence. They've done the opposite. I mean, Scots are proud of the record, small though it is, of the mitigation that has been in place uh, for about the last four or five years because of extra uh, welfare powers that came north. So we've got to be looking like we want something. And for my money, that demand, that, that suggestion that George has made, total fiscal autonomy at the next election, demand from the SNP. I don't want to hear about holding anybody else's feet to the fire. I don't want to hear about anybody else. Don't talk about Labour. Talk about yourselves. Talk about Scotland. Talk about what you want for this country, because if you don't, you will so demoralise your support. We'll be back to 2017 where people weren't mm. even delivering the election, the leaflets they were sent out because independence have been taken off the table. This is this is a part of moving towards independence. And I would love to hear somebody come up with something as energetic as that. Not somebody, Hamza Yusuf. Hamza Yusuf, Yusuf, yeah, exactly. Only what's intriguing because I hadn't hadn't read that article from from George, and that that kind of builds upon almost something that, that I mean I, I may be extrapolating too much that Ben McPherson was talking about, uh, who, who was uh, a minister in the, in the previous SNP administration. So no, that's that's interesting. And coming from someone like George, whom I greatly respect in terms of his commitment to independence, it'd be very very difficult for somebody to turn around and point at him and say, oh, you're a devolutionist, you're a unionist. Far from it. Similarly yeah, but I'm for not, yourself. I, I would, I would think that Ben, there's having, I may not totally understand Ben's arguments, but I don't think that was, that was, wasn't looking at anything like as, as precise as attack lines yeah. as this. Yeah. This was just looking at an independence in some way off in the future. And for all of these guys, I would say the same thing. How do you build, you know, support for change? Yeah. It's by steps. You know, you, you're still leaving a big step there that somehow something and it's not going to be the next election is going to be a game changer because, you know, events focus minds. When when you <laughs> I was looking at one of these online things that, you know, tries to get you to there's thousands of them now that as soon as you've clicked on one link about Pilates once, you just oh, get them yeah. all the time. But it was try. I, I, normally I don't even bother, but I was a bit bored and I thought I'll just do this um, to sort of find out what was the right set of exercises for me. And the first question to asked was, is there something that you want to look better for? So the way that this and this, you know, these guys know what they're doing because they're selling. They have to sell online with no contact between themselves and the, you know, the buyer. So they understand the way psychology works. Somebody thinks to themselves, I've got a wedding in June. I need to lose a couple of pounds, right? That's going on in the back of your head. There's an event. 
that everything's like this. People do not just move mm -hmm. their way forward without a series of steps that are generally events. The general election will be a big event and it has to be one which has got steps up into it that, that show that Scotland is now beginning to motor with the powers that are actually normal for all the decently devolved yes. uh, parliaments around us. So I think that's really quite different. I don't know because I didn't see that Ben was arguing about that, mm -hmm. what we should do for the next election. And that's my problem with all those guys and all those arguments is you're missing the big step. Yeah. There has to be a step next year at that general election. I just don't want to hear anybody else going on about uh, you know, the narrative's going to be provided by who's going to be the next, uh, you know, prime minister. For sure, we kind of not stupid. We get that. Yeah. But you have not uh, built up a party that worried about what the existing narrative was or we wouldn't be here. Yeah. You know, so come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, talking about elections, um, Finland has. Uh, yeah, it was incredibly close. And uh, the. The uh, National Coalition Party, no look this, Kokomus, has swept to victory, it claims, you know, not really, winning 48 seats in the 200-seat parliament. And Sanna Marin, incredibly popular, her Social Democrats increased the number of seats but are now out of power. Yeah, and I mean, that is that is a bit of an upset because, as you say, they did actually get slightly more seats. But it looks like, I mean, the analysis seems to be that the, that the Finns are particularly nervous it's an interesting one, this, because it has some resonance <clears throat> about rising government debt. Now, that was the that was the kind of message that the the National Coalition, basically the Tories, uh, mm. managed to run with during the election. And their leader, who's a very Keir Starmer sort of guy, actually, <laughs> you know, a sort of, you know, compared to certainly Sanna Marin, who was definitely on. The, there was a stage where Sanna Marin, Nicola Sturgeon, and uh, Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand were seen as a new sort of triumvirate. And you could actually have chucked in at various times uh, the, the leader in Denmark. These were, you know, young together women who looked like they represented a younger set of voters and not the, the kind of older guys. Um, but the, but that, that has sort of failed because somewhere along the line, this the idea that she had of trying to invest and grow your way out of what looks like the beginnings of a sort of post-pandemic recession in, in Finland, that didn't cut the mustard as much as Pateri Orpo, who's the conservative guy, saying we actually need to tackle rising government debt. It seems interesting to me, there's so much that the Finns and Scots have got in common, actually, in lots <laughs> of ways. And and this, this tremendous worry about just acquiring debt seems to be a, a kind of common feature that that falls on very fallow ground when when that is raised as a sort of political issue. But whatever, um, despite the fact that today Finland is about yeah. to enter NATO, um, which which has happened on Sanna Marin's watch, all the, all her political opponents would agree with that. And it's that's quite a big deal. But the, the, the difficulty for the new guy would be who's he going to form a coalition with? And again, there's the parallel with mm -hmm. Scotland. Because actually, a point you could put to the, the, the problem for the Finns, for him, is that the obvious party is the Finns party, which is an mm. extreme right wing party that wants to. It's basically a Suella Braverman, a Finnish Suella Braverman party. Uh, now that nobody wants to touch these guys uh, and that will be a big problem for him, uh, which means that he might try to have some sort of talks with them find that there's just no way they can do, you know, talk Turkey 
and actually end up in a pact with Santa Marin again. Mm -hmm. And that now that is the way life works in a parliament that uses proportional representation. Hey, there's another parallel because the guys, the, the gang of 15 that want to potentially set up their own subgrouping, the SNP, if you wonder if what they really want, the ideal solution for them is simply to get rid of the Greens, you know, to just, indeed, that was what Kate Forbes was ready to contemplate. And then you've got to say, there's yeah. in, a, in a proportional parliament, you, you, you know, it's like a family. You might get to a stage where you just walk out and round, walk around the block a couple of times because someone in your family is that annoying. But see, when you come <laughs> back, they're still in the house. You know what I mean? And you've got to just come to terms with that. And the Greens are still in the house. Somebody's got to be in the house because it will probably never happen again that there will be an outright majority for any party. You know, there has been one majority government in the history of the devolved parliament. The rest have all been minority governments. So this idea that you can basically take a party democratically elected, the Greens, and just say, we didn't really like the cut of your jib, you're out. And how dare you, actually? How very dare you, you tiny number of people, be the tail that wags the dog? Sure, there's an argument in there about how much influence they've had. We've discussed that. Mm -hmm. But the very you know idea that there should be a pact is look around you at every other democracy that's got proportional voting. There's next to nobody going it alone as a minority because it drains the batteries. It gives you no confidence about your direction. It gives, actually, if you're coming back to business, nobody quite knows, you know, which way you're going to hang. And that's bad enough in this country because of Britain, nobody knows from one day to the next whether it's worth investing in alternative en renewable energy. Because one minute, you know, take SSE, for example, the massive uh, proposal that they've got for the most humongous new hydro scheme north of Fort William. Uh, whose name has just skipped out of me. It could be Corey Glass, but I might have got that wrong. Um, the, the, the capacity of that proposed new hydro scheme there is equal to all the hydro dams in Scotland. Wow. That's how big it is. And it can supply, you know, it also produces baseload energy, which is a dancer, because that's the one that you can, it's a pump, uh, it's a pump station, so that means basically the water gets pumped back up, so you can release it when you want, and at that moment, mm -hmm. within five seconds of demand being needed, you've got supply. So it's it's a huge thing, and uh, there's, um, it's going to take a while to do, I think, the, the thinking is it wouldn't come on stream till 2031. There's £100 million going to be spent by SSE to do initial test drilling and so on to test the geology of the structures around them. And you can feel a but coming because there is a but coming. Um, but the problem is that the UK government that's, uh, that uh, is in charge of energy has not committed sufficiently to the financial situation around the presumably the mm -hmm. tariffs and all the rest of it to make SSE confident, 100% confident in going ahead. Mm. If anybody's ever worried about the investability of Scotland, it's tungsten. Do you know what I mean? It just is. Um, the investability questions are raised now by Britain because you don't know from one day to the next. They still, unbelievably, they've still got a ban on onshore wind. Yes. They they are have allowed a coal uh, you know a coal mine to reopen. They may support uh, you know they may come up with the goods necessary to give SSE confidence, but happily they may be out. But then they might be back in. 
it takes a long time to build these things. And so yeah. who who would say, mm, okay, it's going to take, I'm trying to remember the number of billions that need to be invested in this project to work. Let's just fling this all in and hope they don't get in again. That's what people are having to think right now. You know, so it's it's kind of, sorry, I've rambled off the point so completely, I can't remember where this one started. Where did it start? I started with Finland, but I mean, I'm enjoying it thoroughly. I mean, I, I mean, because <laughs> so I was I think we, we shuggled off Finland, did we yeah. not, or are we still on it? Yeah. Oh, no, no, we, we, we shuggled off Finland in, into 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 renewables, which I'm I'm always it's always, always a rabbit hole. I'm delighted to go down, considering the absolute nonsense I had talked about mini so-called mini nuclear reactors recently, which is going to be the the save the savior for the future, without as you say actually looking at the resources we actually have, but the resources are currently controlled by Westminster with the in-out system that we've got. And as it, it goes back to this whole thing about proportional representation, which is where we started from in terms of filming, you know, how to make, an, make agreements. I mean, with the Labour Party's utter refusal to, to, to even consider it, even though the membership was all in favour of it, uh, to consider proportional representation on the basis of the fact that they may get in once every 20 years, you know, clear up a Tory mess and then be booted out again. And that's 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 what we, we we're faced with there. So so I've rambled off the point, but I but got I got my put my boot yeah, into the Labour Party. That's fine. And actually, we can just chuck in Jeremy Corbyn while we're at it, not oh, being allowed to God. stand, which that's, is sort of yeah. I don't know how other people feel about that. That's, that's just looks. I know I know what all the big politics is about, and if you look at that sort of timeline of what, in fact, this is uh, this is Starmer's three years as leader today. Mm. And, uh, you know, so many papers and um, commentators have got a sort of long list of achievements, most of which is is, is basically uh, where they are vis-a-vis -vis the Tories. And mm. when he took over, uh, Labour was 22 points behind the Tories, April 2020. Uh, they're now 18 points ahead. Uh, so, you know, so that's that, you know, fair play. That is, you'd have to say there has been something of a collapse in <laughs> <laughs> Tory mm. governance in between, but still, you know, he he's stuck to his guns, and if that rocks your boat and you're in yeah. England, that's probably going to be as good as it gets, basically. Uh, but still, you know, it it the the spectacle of Jeremy Corbyn being hung out to dry like that is just difficult. I've, yes. I find, you know, yeah, and I would you, think most Scots probably look at him and think, well, I mean, you know, he seemed a well-meaning enough guy, and what is this about that he, you know, to be. You can only imagine how difficult that is actually for everybody that ends up. And I appreciate there are examples closer to home who end up out of parties that they, you know, pretty much help <laughs> yeah. help <Yeah>. create. <clears throat> it seems to be a bit of a thing. But but still, I, I wonder, you know, how much that that hurts Labour. I suspect there's been no concentration on it here because everybody was focused on the SNP leadership contest. You know, so that just has come and gone. But if you look at the sort of... Um, there's another piece here that's got three years of Starmer slogans, and they're they're all another future is possible mm. under new management, uh, secure, protect, rebuild, work, care, equality, security, and then take back control. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, whatever you know, it, yeah. it'll only be it'll be more of that. But the point from Finland is that can work for scared people. Yeah. Right. Uh, and talking about scared, we, we, we haven't touched on the Donald uh, being arraigned 
uh, after the, the, the grand jury met. Uh, and those of us who watch American American detective series will realise that a grand jury it kind of operates like a, a, the public crown prosecution or procurator fiscal service. They actually get together, they can call witnesses uh, it, and they decide whether an action can be preceded and taken to court. There's sufficient evidence there. So, I mean, it's like Al Capone kind of. I mean, when Capone was caught out on fiddling his tax returns, it looks like uh, the Trump is going to be caught out on this, this payment of uh, $130,000 to the inestimable adult film star Stormy Daniels before the 26th presidential election to, to shut her up. And it wasn't the payment of the money that was the issue. It was the saying that he gave the money to his lawyer, Cohen, was recorded as an account, saying the payment was for legal fees. So there you go. But apparently there are 30 other things involved in there. But I mean, I, one of my favourite bits was that they said they, they look forward to, to seeing uh, Donald Trump being, being led out in handcuffs, which of course would be the smallest handcuffs possible, given the size of, his, uh, of the, the Trump's hands. So we'll wait and see what happens there. But I mean, it's it's just utterly ridiculous. I mean, when you actually get to that point where performative uh, politics and the ability to actually spin everything as being a, an establishment conspiracy and the beholdenness still of the Republican Party to Donald Trump just indicates the, the difficulties a democratic society can face when truth goes out the window and you can spin it any way you want and people are willing to believe the most bizarre conspiracy theories and be elected and uh, get people like Trump elected and um, yeah. It's, yeah and but, it's just but, that, having said that I mean it seems that that people are, are saying that there's been no big influx of you know the the, the kind of groups of people no that that set the alarm bells going basically when you know the capital was stormed there there is a proposal for a couple of demonstrations around the yeah. around the the courtroom but it seems that he's got plans to go in you know say he's not guilty come out again get bail doesn't matter how much it is you know it'll go down on the table he'll be straight out into a helicopter and back to florida yeah. um so you know it, it it's very unlikely that there's going to be anything that you know that resembles the kind of repeat mob mm -hmm. moment uh, that happened before but of course, you know, for anybody who's who has a sense of just governance and and the kind of rule of law, this is a bit of a moment for to be the first president in history that has been basically yeah. facing criminal charges, whichever you want to look at it. But as you say, it does say something that you know the papers are full of. And is that going to help his campaign yes. to get the Republican nomination? Um, it is quite extraordinary when you know the smallest weakness or personal failing in anybody here results in them losing office or you know just just mm. massive status loss uh he could seem to sort of thunder on uh despite this but you know there's there's plenty of evidence that his star seems to have waned you know in within the republican party anyway mm -hmm. uh they'll all be waiting to see how this one goes but um i can't see it just it just feels like there's a desire amongst the Republicans to move on and find a new, a new, a new more dependable candidate to sort of rally behind. Yes. Um, so yeah, it'll be a spectacle for sure. I mean, everything connected with the Donald is, but um, a little bit of me just just doesn't want to pay attention because that's yes. all he craves. 
you know, the 10 freaking long car motorcade to just turn up somewhere to kind of, you know, put 10 pence down for a stamp. It's just like, it, I mean, I was, <laughs> I think it was my, my parents had drilled this into me when I was young is don't pay attention to people who are looking for it, you know, because it just <laughs> feeds, it feeds yeah. the need, you know, um, yeah. and it just feeds that empty airheadedness, uh, which we could have less of in life. But doubtless it'll be all over the, 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 the papers or rather the television tonight. Yes. And of course, he'd be jetting back to Mar-a-Lago where they're still trying to find all these these uh, official documents, the state secrets that he's stashed there. And always remember that still ongoing investigation and possible prosecution for inciting what happened uh, in in that January where where the mob stormed. And again, it's just, again, the state of American politics where Mike Pence, who was going to be. Well, got at, and there were the appalling things that were going to be done to him by Trump supporters. Now comes out in support of Trump. It just shows the the whole thing. And will there be, as you say, a more acceptable face of reaction? The Rishi Sunak, if you like, may candidate for the Republican Party in the in the upcoming U.S. elections. Anyway, and yes, it's it's we've got to the um, the end of March, beginning of April, Leslie, and it's been subscription renewal time. And lots of thanks to everyone who's who's continues to support the podcast. And we hope you enjoy the extras that you do get from us. And there there will be more coming up that are in the pipeline. And just to say a big thank you to everyone who's continues to subscribe and allowed us to develop the podcast over the the, the three years that the subscription uh, process has been in place yeah it's been it is absolutely fabulous and uh, i mean it's a constant source of surprise when i was yes. <clears throat> motoring around all these different there was a media village essentially outside hollywood again a bit weepingly like the the one that was outside during the indie ref and as i was sort of hopping from thing to thing the number of people who came up and i won't you see but i can't even say who they are because they're the most unlikely people in the media who came up and said i do love the podcast and I, right. i'm a subscriber I went, really Woo-hoo. you know so it, it's tremendous you know we suddenly dived into you know quite deep conversations on that so that's only possible well it's not only possible because to be frank I mean, I started this 12 years ago with Chris, you know, and we've been mm-hmm. and with yourself. We battled on for quite a long time just doing it, basically. And it will always be free. Yeah. You know, so that if you just it's difficult times. Right. So we get that. And if anybody needs to adjust stuff, that's fine. But Absolutely. obviously, given that doors are shut in other directions, uh, in every other direction, practically, um, from the point of view of being able to earn a, a living, it's very appreciated to have that support. But I think there has been a wee gremlin, yeah. hasn't there? Oh gosh, yeah. We've been we've been working hard with the platform that they use for people to subscribe to actually work out this glitch in terms of people both renewing their subscriptions and initiating new subscriptions. And we are working on it, folks. And those of you who are current subscribers who there's been a glitch uh, in terms of uh, automatic renewal. I, I will be uh, trying the fix that we've got there and there will be information coming out to you. As for the new subscriptions, we're working with our platform to try and get it resolved. All I can say is many, many apologies, folks. And it is something that the platform that we use for subscription is working on. They realise it is an error in the system and they're working to get it resolved. And fingers crossed that we've done as quickly as possible. So thank you for your for your tolerance and your continued support. Yeah, and on, on that, yes, 
Yeah, thank you. Silenced me actually. Yes, yeah, as soon as you've, you've talked about technicalities for more than thirty oh, seconds, God. I'm afraid. <laughs> oh, don't, look, I feel don't, like it's out of my high league. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I've been, I've been surfing on a, a, a thin, thin level of competence in this area for everybody. I've been learning as. Oh, that's rubbish, Pat. Yeah. You've taught yourself all the systems that make this thing yeah. work. Just to steal the last, potentially last word here. Um, just to say that uh, you're the one that often comes up with recommendations and stuff. I have been laughing like a blooming drain watching Blue Lights, which is a oh, BBC yes. drama based in Belfast, with actually, just for once, everybody, every actor that is is meant to be from NI has an authentic Northern Ireland accent, which is, you know, just can't tell you great. But the absolute stutter amongst them all is Richard Dormer, who's a fabulous actor. If anybody watched Fortitude, which has got to be the most horrible, fascinating, compelling, weird uh, Nordic noir series, it is a bit of a cult thing. He was at the centre of that. Um, He is from Northern Ireland originally, and God, he's loving it. You know, you can see a guy, he's just... He's sort of mad, intense, energetic, grinning with a sort of slight hint of frenzy behind it all (laughs) as he takes some petrified uh, newbie out on the run. And it's all these little kind of um, phrases he's got for stuff. The the undercover detectives are known as the sneaky beakies. All these kind of little phrases that would be just absolutely fit in perfectly. But there's not a character in there that isn't fascinating. There isn't, you know, predictable, boring storylines. I'm sure, you know, I hope it doesn't all sort of collapse on, on episode three because I'm taking it one week at a time. <laughs> but really, it's tr- it's especially if you've got any sort of connections with Belfast, it's just it's tremendous. And where can we see that, Leslie? It's on the Beeb. It's, it's on, on BBC the Beeb. One. It's on the It's on, you know, it's just it's the second episode went out last night at nine o'clock. Well, on that recommendation, I'll definitely watch it. And we'll see you next week, chums. <laughs>